boldly and confidently. What's the alternative to boldness and confidence? It's defeat. There's someone here who's been struggling to get into his presence or not being able to stay there very long because you're approaching defeated. But the Bible says you can come confidently, you can come boldly before the throne of God, before his throne of grace. And there's one reason why you might be defeated. On your way there, or when you get there, and that's because you're looking at your own resume. Either there's nothing on it, or there's failure on it, or there's some other kind of defeat on there. And you look at your own resume and you say, I can't stay here, or I can't enter here. But thank God, we were just singing about the blood of Jesus. You don't enter his throne, his throne room by your resume. You enter by the resume of Jesus Christ. You enter by the resume of Jesus Christ. And it's his blood-stained resume that paves a way for you to enter and stand before the throne of grace with boldness and with confidence. Let's give Jesus some praise tonight. It's not by our effort, but it's by His grace and by His blood that you stand there boldly and confidently to receive grace and mercy in time of need. And so, Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Son. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit. That they pave a way for us to come before You. We thank you that as we pray, it's no small thing and we know that you hear us. In the name of Jesus, we lift up every need. We thank you for our families. We thank you for our pastors. We ask you to bless and protect them. And we thank you for everything you're going to do tonight. For the truth that will be preached, that will set people free. By the power of the Holy Spirit, not one of us would leave unchanged. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right, welcome, everyone. You can take your seats. I think the kids have already headed upstairs. So for anyone new or maybe you haven't been here for a couple of weeks, we've got two rooms upstairs now. One is for um, parents with prams and for kids under four, and they've got a live stream of Pastor Tony preaching, and I'm um, sorry, you can't sneak in there, you, you've got to have a kid, that's your ticket into that room, and uh, the other one is for children age four and up, so they need to be um, toilet trained to be in that room, hopefully by the age of four they are toilet trained, if not, come forward for prayer later, and uh, yeah, please, just a reminder, just to pick them up as soon as the service ends, just so we can relieve the team up there. And we're on again Wednesday night with Pastor Rabi preaching, so please join us for that. And um, without any more from me, I'm going to hand over to Pastor Tony, who's excited, who's ready to receive the word from Pastor Tony. Come on, let's make him feel welcome. done we good can you hear me i know people can hear me normally but can you hear me with the mic you know all the guys cheering at the back they're all st george supporters and they got a buy this week and that's why they're cheering because they got two points so hallelujah can you hear me no all good praise god well welcome everyone good can we stand up for one sec please stand up i think the presence of the lord is here god's going to give a word for someone right now if we stand up close your eyes lift your hands up to heaven this is not about me, it's not about, he sent his word, it's about Jesus. Once we get our eyes fixed off Jesus, we miss the point. Jesus is the sole winner. 
like Dorian said, we can enter boldly with confidence and assurance into his throne. Why? Because of the blood. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. The blood makes a way when there was no way. When we were separated from God, the blood changed everything. We sang the song, the blood applied. The blood is not a magic wand. The blood is the pure life of God given up at the cross for us. So Father, I thank you for tonight's word. This is your word. You birthed it. Let man be out of the way. Let me get out of the way and that you speak the truth. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that today you might have come in here with burdens and heavy problems and emotional issues and you weight that you cannot carry, but today you will leave free. Because Jesus said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. We lift our hearts to you, Lord, that we hear from your spirit. We exalt the name of Jesus as above every name. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He's the ruler of the universe, the author of life. No matter what is going on in this world, he is still in control, amen? We don't go by what we see, but we go by faith. And we lay our life before you, Father, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. The title of my message is that, um, that the Lord impressed on my heart that the yoke and burden of Christ. And if you've been around long enough, you've probably heard this a lot. It's in Matthew. And uh, we're going to read it, but we, I was going to read, uh, the guys will get me from uh, Matthew 11 verse 1, but I want to share a little bit, and then I want to really, I, I really want you to understand what it means to be burdened and have a yoke. I want to keep it in context of what the scripture is saying. The biggest mistake people do is they take a scripture out of its setting and make it say what they want it to say, but we need to leave it in its setting. And I think the Lord impressed this message on my heart all week. Um... And sometimes we can take it for granted that we, we quote a scripture, we read a passage, but we really don't know. Um, you know, Jesus uses a lot of parables. Um, as I said, you know, a lot of it has to do with farming. I can't see many farmers in here or owning, you know, cattle. People own a few dogs, all right, but no, no one's herding sheep in this, I don't think. And so he uses a lot of analogies. Uh, and one of them is this yoke. And let's pick it up from Matthew 1 if you don't mind. 11 verse 1, sorry, 11 verse 1. I didn't even write it down. Now, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there and to teach and to preach in the cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Let's go all the way through. And he said to him, are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Jesus answers and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you have, that you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitude concerning John, what, do you say, what did you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who were soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he whom is written, Behold, I send a messenger before you, your face, who will prepare your way before you. Surely I say unto you, among those born of a woman, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in my kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from those days on, John, and John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Now just stop there for a second. There was a word in the uh, Old Testament from the Jews that before the Messiah would come, Elijah would make a way. Elijah would return. And they believed in those days, in the Old Testament, 
uh, that Elijah, who didn't see death, Elijah was taken up by God. He didn't see death. He was taken out of this place. Only two people that we know of in the Old Testament, Enoch and Elijah. Enoch, God loved him so much, he took him. Imagine that fellowship he had with him. And Elijah was taken up and he left uh, his double portion blessing upon Elisha, the prophet. So the Jews always held to this fact that Elijah would come before the coming of the Messiah. Now we know that if you know been around long enough, um, John the Baptist obviously the, uh, is a cousin of Jesus. Um, Elizabeth, his mother, is Mary's first cousin. M uh, John the Baptist grew up and he was preaching the way. The Bible says he's a voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing a way for the Lord. And John was a man who was dressed in camel skin, ate locusts off trees and lived in the desert and they thought he was a madman. And he was preaching that repent for the kingdom of God is coming. Basically, repent of your sins because the Messiah is on his way. So he was the forerunner to Jesus. And here he says, if you accept it, John the Baptist was the Elijah to come. Now, he wasn't Elijah. He wasn't reincarnated. He didn't have it. But he came in the spirit of Elijah, meaning that what Elijah carried, John the Baptist carried. We're up to date now. Awesome. Let's keep going. And he who has an ear, let him hear. Can we just stop there for a second? I want to get. I want to jump down to verse twenty-eight, and I want to just verse twenty-eight. Now, just want to just because there's a bit to read. So now Jesus goes on because I want to read the whole lot. Jesus goes on and says, "The miracles that I've done in Capernaum, if Sodom and Gomorrah had saw them, or in this, there's, a, there's a few cities that got destroyed by God's judgment, if the miracles that Jesus did, did there, they would have repented." And he's saying, but judgment, a bigger judgment is on you, people in Jerusalem, Capernaum. Because the works that I do here, you haven't repented. And he's saying, it's better than Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than you guys. Because if this, what I'm doing now, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the preaching of the kingdom, if they had seen it, they probably would have repented. That's a big call from Jesus. He's saying that now I'm standing in front of you, all right? You're looking at John, you're looking at this guy, you're looking at that. Even John said, are you the one or are we waiting for another? They weren't sure if he was the one, but John baptized Jesus. John heard the heaven open up and say, this is my beloved son. Now John's in jail because, you know, he thought, well, Messiah's come. John's in jail and he says, are you the one or are we waiting for another? And he says, blessed are those who aren't offended for my namesake. And now Jesus is talking to, to these cities that of judgment, that if they would have repented, if they heard, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, we know a lot about that, would have repented. And then in verse 28, he says this, Come to me all who are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon you, my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for my, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Have you got that picture of those um, cows? I don't know why I've got animals in my sermons these days. Last week was buffaloes and cows. Wait till next week. <laughs> Somebody might call me Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. Now, I've got this picture, but, you know, I got scared of this picture because look at how the cows are looking at us. Like, everywhere you look, he looks at you. He goes, it's like saying, what are you looking at, you know? But if you have a look here in the cows, they've got a yoke on them. And traditionally, if you don't know who it is, that's a yoke, all right? <laughs> but uh, traditionally, what they would do, they would put two animals together. They would yoke them by their, by their necks. And then they would obviously plow the fields, carry things. They do it with donkeys, do it with mules, they do it with different animals. And the Bible says that these are beasts of burden. Remember last week we spoke about the donkey is a beast of burden. And, and, and the oxen and cows. And these yokes are linking the two together and now they work as one. Now if one wants to go left and the other wants to go right, we've got problems. You know, They just end up walking together. Why? Because they're controlled by the farmer and they're yoked together. They can't get out, they can't do what they want, they're yoked, all right? To give you a yoke. Can I show the other one? Yoke, please, whatever you got there. Sean, you. Now, this is another yoke. This is a, a, a single yoke for a human. What they do, they put it around their neck and they carry buckets of milk, water, hay, so you balance, so you can carry that uh, to, to help you lift things in the farms. Next one. Is that it? That's all I gave you? That's how much I want that. So you've got an idea what a yoke is. Jesus says this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's great, but what does that really mean to us? 
How many people know that you've heard a lie that if you come to Jesus, everything's going to be okay? You're going to have a free... Where does it say in the Bible that you come to Jesus, you won't have a storm? Where does it say you come to Jesus, everything be okay, don't worry about it, it's all good, sweet. How many know that Jesus says, in this world you will have troubles? True? In this world we'll have troubles, but he goes, but take heed, be of good cheer. Guard your hearts, because in this world you'll have troubles, but I have overcome the world. And Jesus is talking in this context. I said, all right, Lord, what do you want me to say here? Because I can go through a million ways to, to, to teach this. The first thing he says, for you come unto me and learn from me. Step number one, if you're taking notes, you need to take his yoke. See, Christ went to the cross, yeah? We just said it earlier, we can't save ourselves. Christ went to the cross, he died on the cross, he took our punishment that we deserved, that he could give us his life, amen? That's a, you should be rejoicing already, that's just the main core of the message. We can't save ourselves, he saves us. There's nothing good that you can do to add to the cross. What can you do to add to what Jesus did on the cross? You just have to receive it. But here he's talking about taking his yoke and his burden. The first step, come to him so he can teach you. And then you can carry his yoke and his burden and his light. It's, it's, it's interesting. Did you get the one of the horse? Oh, I sent it to you earlier. The one of the horse, we'll do a bit later. Let's go to Matthew. I want to share this in context. Now, now Jesus is talking about the cities that wouldn't repent. Talked about J uh, John the Baptist telling this is the way, the, so the Messiah is coming. He's the voice crying out in the wilderness. Then he's talking about the cities that wouldn't repent. Like if they heard the message that he's preaching now, they would have repented. But Jerusalem wouldn't repent. Then he talks about the burden. What is the burden he's talking about now? Let's have a look in uh, Matthew 11. Matthew 12, sorry, verse 1. I want you to hear this, hear me by my, listen to me, listen very carefully, all right? There's a bit of reading to do, and I'll try and read slow because I'm the terrible reader and I want to confuse you. Because we'll go from Matthew to John and then I won't know what I'm talking about. Many people say amen. <laughs> Thank God no one said amen. Now, listen, Jesus is preaching. Always put it in its context, all right? He's saying, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. If you take my burden, you'll learn from me, and I won't put burdens on you. But how many know that we came to Christ, we were walking a lot of burdens? So let's find out what he's talking about, why there's no burden, or a light burden, okay? Because some burdens you are carrying is not of God. You've decided to pick up something. You've decided to yoke yourself with a belief, or, or a system, or something that's not of God, and you say, why is this struggle so hard? See, a yoke on an oxen always pulls your head down. A yoke on a donkey will always put your head down. You're never looking up because you're looking forward and you're just plowing the fields. You work like a donkey, literally. <laughs> At this time, Jesus went through the grain fields. This is chapter 12. So Jesus is still preaching. Don't get confused with chapter and verses. Chapter and verses, we think we're reading a novel. Well, I'll finish chapter 11 now. I'll close it. I'll read chapter 12 tomorrow. He's still speaking. It's the same story. Jesus is painting a picture to teach us. The problem we have today in the church, that we're context readers. We like to text things and we never read anything in context, I should say. We like to text scripture to each other, but we don't understand the context of scripture because no one wants to read anymore. And I'm a terrible reader, but listen to me. Read it, hear it, watch it, whatever you need to do, but get the full picture of what Christ wants to do in you. Amen? Amen? At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and the disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And here comes the Pharisees. They said to him, look. Like he didn't know what they were doing. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David, which is talking about King David, did when he was hungry? He, he and those who were with him. How he entered into the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to, to eat. Nor for those who were with him but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane, profane the Sabbath and are blameless? And yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. But if you have known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you will not have con condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. Now what was the Sabbath? Can someone speak to me? Day of rest. Jesus just said earlier, if you take my yoke and my burning light, and I'll give you rest 
for your soul. Now we're getting a picture. What is he trying to say here? He's talking to a bunch of people that would not repent. They were trusting in the law in the temple. The Pharisees accused him of breaking the law on the Sabbath because in those days you could not do any work on the Sabbath. You could, yeah, it was only a Sabbath's walk. There's only a certain amount. It's about a thousand yards from your house. You couldn't walk any further. And now they're picking, they're looking to see, to catch you out. They're looking to see, are you keeping the law? Are you going to church? Are you doing all the right things? And, this, and their heart was never to mercy or sacrifice. It was trying to catch you out. Why? Because you're a dirty, rotten sinner and you have no rest. And the law, the, the Sabbath was to be a day of rest. And Jesus says, but you know, the law cannot save you. The temple cannot save you. The church cannot save you. What you do cannot save you. But only if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he'll give you that rest. That's what he's saying. Now, if you want to keep the Sabbath as a day of rest out of faith, do it. But if you keep it out of an obligation, law. Law cannot save you. It's by faith that we are saved through grace. Are you with me? So Jesus said, take my burden. Because what had happened was the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day, had put so many burdens on them they couldn't carry. Matthew 23, 4, if you don't mind. I just want to preach this, but I've got to slow down because I just want to share this excitement that I've got in my spirit. Matthew 24, for they bind, everyone say bind. bind. You can say another word, they yoke. Heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on, their, on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their little fingers. In other words, the teachers of the law had perverted the law. The law was holy what God gave Moses and, and the, the Mosaic law and the, and the sacrificial law and the Ten Commandments, it was holy. But they put more burdens because they would change the law. They would add to the law. They would do so many things to put burdens on people. And Jesus was not impressed. He says, and you burden the people up with all these rules and regulations and you don't even help them. And what does Jesus say? Take my yoke. It's easy and my burden is light. See, there's no one in the world has offered you rest for your soul. You can go to every other religion. They'll tell you, do this, do that, do this, do that. Go here, go there, do this, do that. But only Jesus promised you rest for your soul. Isn't it interesting? He says, I want to give you rest for your soul. What was the rest they needed? They needed to know that they were forgiven by the precious blood. So you can't get your sins forgiven by what you do. So you have to yoke yourself to Jesus. Now we're going to see this in the picture in a minute. The Sabbath speaks about rest. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, I want to show you a picture. The Bible interprets the Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. Tony doesn't interpret Scripture. You don't interpret Scripture. We don't pick the Scriptures that we want to satisfy our soul. We need to know what the Word of God says because only the Word of God can satisfy our soul. No one said amen. <laughs> wow, see that? <laughs> Father and Son team. You're a bit slow today. Pick up the act, all right? Hey, <laughs> eh? Got the horse now? Later. Then God saw everything and that he had made. He's playing like Paramount at the moment. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So that evening and that morning were the sixth day. I only just put that bit in. We know what Jesus, God did. Heavens and earth, he made them. Seas, six days of creation. God, the Bible says he worked. Six days, herbs of the field. The seas, the clouds, the sun, and all that. And on the sixth day, he made the, uh, the beasts of the field, and he made man. And he said, man, he made man in his image, female and male in his image and his likeness. Then he says that this, the last, he says, he, God saw everything, and he made, and indeed, it was very good. Everything else was just good. But now, man's on the earth. It was very good. And then it says here, so that evening and that morning were the sixth day. So on the sixth day, God stopped creating. On the seventh day, what happened? Let's go there. Let's have a read. I want to show you the rest of God. You've got to understand where Paul, when Paul, when Jesus, when they're preaching and teaching, they're using the whole Bible to show you a picture. You need to understand the picture. Okay. Genesis 2 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested. Everyone say, rested. Does God get tired? had a guy, this Muslim guy, arguing with this Christian guy that if your God has to rest, he's not, he's not worthy of being worshipped. He goes, well, if you understand the rest he was talking about, wasn't that he was tired. He was saying, be relaxed in the finished work that I'm about to do. And one day that Jesus will do the finished work of the cross and give you rest. That's what he's talking about. You've got to look at it and it's popular. He says, he rested on the seventh day 
from all his work which he had done. The seventh day is the Sabbath. We look at it Sunday, but the, to the Jews, the Sabbath is Friday night, sundown, to Sunday morning, sun up. Friday night, they would lock themselves away. They would celebrate the Passover. They would talk to the kids about what God did in the Passover. And they talk about the Lord. And usually the family would sit together and the grandfather or the uncles or the dads would teach the kids about the history of how God get them, got them out of Egypt and took them out of slavery and that. And then they would go to the temple and, and they'd do all the ceremonial and then they would eat together as a family. And that was their day of rest. They were supposed to sit there and rest in the knowledge that God loves them and he has set them free. That's what it was meant to be. What they did was put more burdens on people and Jesus was not happy. The law was a tutor, excuse me, a schoolmaster to point you to. The law could not save you. It could only reflect who you were. And the law was a mirror that I'm a sinner. And one day a savior would come and take the law that is required of me and put it on him. He would take my burden. He would be yoked to a cross and then he would release me from that burden so I could be yoked to him. See that picture? So on the seventh day, the Sabbath day was a day of rest. What does that mean to us? What is Jesus saying to the disciples? Take my yoke, as easy as my burdens like. In Genesis it says, okay, well you worked six days and the seventh day was a day off. Man's first day was what, people? Speak English. <laughs> Sorry, Carolyn. Man, God worked six days. We worked six days. They worked six days. The seventh day was a day of rest. Man, God created all things in six days. Man's first day on this earth was a day of rest. God created you to be in rest. Not like, oh, I, don't, I don't want to be tired. I don't want to dig a hole. I don't want to get a shopping. I don't put. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about your rest for your soul. If you're not rested in the knowledge that Jesus loves you and you're set free because of the blood and you're a daughter and a son of the king and you're still trying to strive to make it or trying to do something for God, you're not in rest. You're in works. You're trying to obtain something you cannot obtain because you'll be on a treadmill. I say religion is a treadmill. You're running for three hours and you haven't moved one millimeter from where you started. He's saying the first day of man is a day of rest for your soul. How many people aren't in rest? We had an incident. I want to. We had an incident a couple of days ago in a car park. So the people here know what happened. And silly, and someone got jumped. So we were there watching. We thought, I can't let this guy get belted. So we tried to help and stop it. And seven guys jumped one bloke. Now at the time there was chaos. Thankfully, they got up and left, and we helped this guy. He thought he had popped his shoulder. So he's smashing his arm on the car to try and pop his shoulder back. And we're going to ring the police, ring the ambulance, take him to the hospital. We, there's a lot of panic going on. But there was one guy there who was a paramedic, and he was calm. In the sense, you could say he was in rest. He walked over calmly, grabbed the guy, was freaking out, punching the windows. He was angry. He was, you know, they stepped on his head. They... And he's, and he's trying to bang his shoulder on the car to pop his shoulder in. The guy goes, relax. He's t- he goes, you haven't popped your shoulder. You've broken your arm. And it's interesting, today it was just popped in my head. I said, we were all in a panic or excitement. Gentlemen rush. What is going on? He's a man, stupid. And he was rest. He achieved more than all of us because he was in a place of rest. You could say he, that's his job and he knows what he's doing. But hey, he didn't panic. He didn't fluster. He just... Why? He was in rest. He achieved more in the situation in rest than he did in being erratic and that's not right, haram and this, that, let's go get him. And you know, the problem is, that's what we're like as Christians. Someone jumped on TV the other day and mocked Jesus and we all want to go out and kill him. (laughs) And the devil loves it because you are around, you want to go and kill him and you want to change this, you want to cancel everyone. And how many people prayed for him? How many people got on their knees and said, Father, forgive him for it if we don't know what he does. How many of us said, you know what, we judged him to hell instead of, you know what, Father, have mercy on his soul. You know, sometimes, I walked in with this and I thought, wow, there's a lynching going on today. This is a yoke. It's a cross, but it's a yoke. It's not really a yoke, it's just a piece of... um, Timber with rope from Bunnings, $12.95 special. I got my discount, PayPass, I got 10% discount. 
But see, can I ask you a question? And I, I, I know we should fire up in our spirit. We have righteous anger when people mock our Lord and that. But can I ask you a question? When we yoke each other, and the Bible says my yoke is easy, my burden light. How many yokes have you yoked yourself to that's not of God? What about the yoke of unforgiveness? So I'm here, and I yoke myself to unforgiveness. I'm a Christian because the cross is there, but I walk around with unforgiveness, offense. What if I yoke myself to unbelief? What do I yoke myself to non-believer? What am I yoking myself to? What is it you're going to yoke? You're going to yoke yourself to something. See, Jesus knew that because we are creatures of habit. We will attach to something. We're going to worship something. We're going to trust in something. And it's just the way God made us up. But if I yoke myself to the wrong thing, then I'm bound by that wrong thing. Sometimes you yoke yourself to religion. The, the, the Pharisees put burdens on them. They yoked them to religion. We said a couple of weeks ago, or well, no, it was actually last year, about the widow who was learning some teachings from the Pharisee. And all they were doing was extorting a poor widow. Because they took all her money and then they were going to take her house. What was wrong? She had yoked herself and trusted the, the law, which was perverted. But we've got to understand that you're going to yoke yourself to something. You're going to trust in something. It's just inevitable. But see, sometimes my yoke that I attach myself to can look religious. Look what this says. Look what the second thing in, inside you. If you want to break yokes, we can call it strongholds. We can call it whatever. See, when I got free in Jesus Christ, that was the beginning. That's what Rab says. We, we get the new man, and then he tries to form the new nature inside that man. Now, the capacity to hear from God is inside you. The minute you got Jesus Christ as your Savior, the minute you're washed by the blood and you're born from above, your spirit is reignited. It's back to where it should be. Now it's got the nature of Christ, but it doesn't actually know how to walk it out yet because we're so conformed to the patterns of this world. Or, can I say it this way, we're so conformed to us who have been in this world for so long and that we don't like to shake off the old man. Here it says in, in the Philippians 1.5, or if you put in the writing points, point number two, the anointing inside you breaks the yoke. Sometimes we're striving. See, there's only so far you can take your willpower. You can discipline yourself and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to shut down anymore. And it's your willpower. And there's some people that are stronger than others. And yeah, you might discipline yourself, eat right, train, all that. But if there's internal yokes that you've bondages in your heart, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. The Holy Spirit won't do it for you. He'll do it with you. So if I yoke myself to the Holy Spirit and His Word, guess what? Guess who's helping me? The Holy Spirit. If I yoke myself to my own strength, guess what? I'm relying on myself. The devil loves that. Here in Philippians 1 says, For your fellowship in the gospel, hear my heart, the fellowship in the gospel, from the first day until now being confident, of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Till when? Till Jesus Christ comes back. In other words, what God has started in your life, he is making it work every day. He is working the work of God. He's letting the word that you put in you to form Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's working on you, people that hear from God every day, and it's always about someone else. When's the last time you heard about God about yourself? You might need to repent of some things. You might need to put away some things. You, you might need to shut down some things. You know, God, the Holy Spirit's working with you. But if I don't yoke myself with Him and His Word, the Holy Spirit has nothing to work with. We want magic wands. We want to come up here, get laid hands on by a man of God or a woman of God and get relieved. But God's saying, okay, that's great. There's sometimes an anointing on someone that can help you break some yokes. But what about you? The same Jesus in me is the same Jesus in you. But I think, like I said last week or two weeks ago, Jesus is asleep on the boat. Wake up the Jesus inside you. The work he started in you, he will complete. But how many people now... It gets a bit tough. Things don't go to plan. I prayed for something and it didn't happen. I believe God for this. It didn't come to pass. I'm struggling with my walk and we abort the mission because we think that God doesn't love us anymore. And we give in to what? We take off the yoke of Jesus and we put on the yoke of the world. Very common. And we don't let the process go through because we don't understand who he is in us. 
in John 1, 1 John, sorry, 1 John 1. This is interesting. In Philippians, he says, the fellowship of the gospel. I used to often say to people, when you read your Bible, don't just read it. You start off doing that. You just start off reading. But read it and fellowship with the word. Someone said to me, how do you do that? I said, well, when I read the word, I'm not trying to find something I want to find. I'm reading the word, word to get to know the word. So if Christ is the word and he became flesh, he is the word in written form. When I read the word, I'm fellowship. Just like if I sit with Dorian and get to know Dorian and sit down or someone I don't know who I don't know here, let's say um, who I don't like here. Okay, so Johnny, you know, I don't like him, but we get to know each other. And then I start to like him. Get, oh, I'm joking. I love these guys. Um, not really. But anyway, um, <laughs> well, I'm in church. I can't lie, John, please. <laughs> I'm joking, everybody. All right. I'm joking. <laughs> but if I get to know John. Yeah. No, it's a door to open. I shouldn't have done that. But if I get to know John, I spend time with John. I get to know John. I have time with John. You know, coffee with John. And I get to know John. He gets to know me. And then I, sometimes I can, he can hear my voice. Oh, there he is. You can hear him before you can see him. You know, all this sort of stuff. What happens? We get familiar with one another. We're having fellowship with one another. But how are you going to get to know the voice of the Lord through his word if you don't read it? So I don't read the Bible as a black and white do's and don'ts legalistic look. I used to. Now I read it as, Lord, show me something. I want to get to know you. Sometimes I laugh at the word when Jesus says, blind Bartimaeus, son of David, have mercy on me. He goes, what do you want? <laughs> well, you don't know what he wants. He's blind. He's crying out for an hour. Sometimes I laugh at it. I don't know. I've got a view. Maybe, maybe you don't find it funny, but I do. Or sometimes when I, when I see things like um, the, the sons of Sceva, they were trying to cast out a demon. They, used to, <laughs> they were trying to cast out a demon. They said, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. And the demon in the man bashed the guys up, stripped them naked, and they ran down the street naked. How good is that? <laughs> I would love to see that movie when I get to heaven. But he's running down the street naked. But then there's times where I read his word and I feel convicted that, wow, I'm not where I should be. Or there's times when I, in my early days that the love of the Father hit me so hard that I cried for at least three months. I knew Jesus as my Lord. I knew the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how he saved me. But the Father God stuff, until mm, one day he broke my heart and I wept and I wept. I could not stop weeping. I'd go to work, I'd weep at the set of lights, I'd weep. Why? He was just, just doing a work in my heart because the Father loved me. And I finally, finally lost, lost that little boy orphan spirit to become a son. I'm going to cry now because of how much he loves me. Does he love me because I'm perfect? Does he love me because of my jokes? You don't love me because of my jokes. <laughs> touched my life so when i read his word and there's times i try and read it to get something because the pressure of you know you need to find a word what's something new but then I'll, you know I've, I've been doing this for 20 years now i really don't care what you think about me it's nice that you like me but it's not necessary i never go out of my way to upset anyone because the bible says be, be careful when people speak highly of you so this weirdo friend of mine decides to upset everyone because i don't no one can speak highly of me like, that's not what it says upset people say no one speaks highly of you what i was saying is don't allow the praises of the people to sway you off the truth so today i'm preaching truth tomorrow oh, i've got a, a big congregation and they, and they want to hear something different they don't want to hear all the time fasting and praying and that they want to hear good messages like how much how rich i'm going to get and can i believe for a mercedes and can i do no, no offense everyone's got a mercedes but you know i drive a toyota but what I'm trying to say is when you fellowship, he says, when you fellowship in the gospel, when you fellowship, which means have communion, it doesn't just mean taking the holy bread. It means communion is community. We have communion with one another. Iron sharpens iron. Sometimes God's got you in a place with someone you don't really like or can't get along with, so he can sharpen you because loving someone you can love every day is easy. Having someone around you that doesn't upset you is easy. But in order for you to grow in the things of God, he'll put you with someone who can't be loved so you can learn how to love. Someone has to write that down in their diary. The fellowship of one another. Look at what John says. Now, I want to just, just be patient with me. There's some preachers that are preaching some error here, and I'm not here to pick anyone preachers, but I want to share my heart to set you free. The Bible says the word of God, truth will set you free. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And Wrong one, bro. Right one, cuz. Wrong one. Sorry, it's uh, chapter 1, verse 5, not chapter 5, verse 1. Someone take over. 
This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. Everyone say God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Next verse. If we say that we have fellowship with him, here we go, communion, fellowship, getting to know each other, working with one another, co-laboring with one another. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. I'll explain what this means in a second. Rabbis has touched on this too. If, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ is his son cleanses us from all sin. What he's saying here, or let's keep going, next verse. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Who's he? Jesus, the Father. They're not separate. He is the Father. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you go back and just there, what if we remain in the light and we have fellowship with the light, but then we sin, confess it, and be cleansed and forgiven. What people take this out of context about if we say we have no sin, we're liars. People say, well, that's it. You're just a sinner. You're going to sin. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about, if I remain in fellowship with him and I'm in the light, hear me out. I'm in the light. I'm in fellowship. God's working with me and I'm being obedient to his word. And then I fall. Even if I sin, I'm still in the light. Because why? I've confessed it. What he's saying here is, if you're in darkness and you justify your darkness and say, I'm in the light, you're lying to yourself. The truth is not in you. And then you, you're a sinner. Greasy grace. I can do whatever I want because greasy. That's what he's talking about. If I'm in the light and I fall, I'd rather fall in the light than be in darkness and pretend I didn't fall. I'm okay. That's all right. The blood saves me. The blood does save you. But he says here, if I don't stay in fellowship and don't confess it, guess what? The blood doesn't cleanse me. Does that make sense? In other words, he's not making it harder. He's saying, stay your eyes fixed on me. I know you fell. I know you transgressed. I know you messed up. I know you got a bit of an addiction here. I know you're struggling there. Stay in the light. Stay in fellowship and the blood will keep cleansing you. Don't go outside and say, I'm under the blood and I will live a life what I want. You're in deception and you're a liar, he says. You know what you just did? You yoke yourself with false doctrine. You yoke yourself with what your itching ears want to hear. Does that make sense? Galatians 5.1 The third thing the devil wants you to do is agree with your struggles and not agree with your identity that's in Christ. If you see yourself as a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace, you're going to live like a dirty, rotten sinner that's saved by grace. But if you see yourself as a son, forgiven by the blood, you will live like a son and a daughter. In other words, how I see myself determines how I live. What I say about myself determines where I go. The 12 spies in the, in the, desert, in the, in the desert, when they looked at the promised land, 12 went out, 12 saw the same thing. Two said, we can have the land, God's given us the land, and 10 said, we can't. The 10 that didn't say, everyone got what they saw. The 10 died in the wilderness with no promised land, and the two, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, we can take the land because God is with us, ended up getting into the land. But the unfortunate thing is it took them forever to get in there. But what they got, what they saw. I can see, if you see yourself as a dirty, rotten sinner, you see yourself, you can't get over stuff. You see yourself, guess what you're doing? You're clinging onto another bondage that's not of Christ, and then what you do, you lock yourself down, and it weighs you down, and you'll never be free. Look what he says here. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Liberty means freedom by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He's telling you, don't get entangled. He's saying to you, I'm not going to stop you. You don't entangle yourself. Someone says to me, I don't know why I ended up doing that. Why did God allow me to do that? <laughs> you did it. Romans 8, 15. What is the bondage? Yoke unto bondage. 
For I did not receive the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but I received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He's talked Abba in the Greek. It's, a, it's not saying, I have a father. I guess I have a daddy. Father, that's true. Daddy is intimate. Abba. In the Arabic word, we, we know that well. Why? He doesn't want to be known as a father, a lawgiver. He wants to know as a personal loving dad who wants to lift you up every time you fall. He wants to put his spirit inside you. That's why he sent us Jesus. Come on, somebody. You've got to get this. He says here, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You know, in the natural world, if you adopt a child, he's not yours from your blood type, but your bloodline, he's not your biological son or daughter, but you adopt them legally in this country and every other country. That child is legally yours and he gets exactly what your natural sons would get. They will get the benefits in your home. If he's a child, he gets all the, you know, if you put Medicare under your Medicare, if you, he gets exactly like a boy. Why? Because he's been adopted in, grafted in. How much more have we been adopted into the Father's house through his son, Jesus? There's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and us. What do you think he came and died on the cross for? To start a new religion? He had one. 600 odd laws, $2,000 rules. Uh, there was so much going on. He says, oh, it's time to bring a family home. You have to understand that you've been adopted into the family. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, don't have to go there quickly. I won't touch on that. I haven't got time. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not unequally yoke together with unbelievers for what fellowship, here we go again, fellowship has righteous with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness now hear me out here it doesn't say you can't have a friend who's not a believer i've got family members who are not believers that does not saying that but he's saying if i yoke myself with unbelieving and i start fellowshipping and living my life with them where do you think i'm going to end up Many years ago in my old Bible study, someone jumped up in the middle of the Bible studies. I couldn't believe my ears. He said, you know what? I love coming to Bible studies. I love coming to church. And I love clubbing and that. And, and, and the clubbing doesn't affect me. And I'm going to club and this and that. Da, da, da. And I went, oh, well. She thought she was stronger than her flesh. She ended up in the world. Because she thought, I can have them both. You can't have them both. It's Christ and Christ alone. I'm not condemning anyone who's been to a nightclub, right? Relax. But what I'm trying to say is, you can't pretend to be in the light when you're walking in darkness. We are meant to go into the world, into the darkness, and, and turn on the light. People say, oh, Jesus sat with sinners. Yeah. But do you think Jesus sat there and, and pacified their sin, and edified them in their sin, and said to them, that's okay, I know you are born like that. Oh, your mum, oh, Haram, you know, your mum. The Bible, the Bible says that Mary had seven demons cast out of her. And for the rest of the last 2,000 years, we've been reading about it. He is not interested in your emotion and your backdrop and, oh my God, I want to offend you. He's interested in making you free. We entertain the devil in our life because it's like, oh, you know what? No, kick him out of your house. See, sometimes you've got to kick the devil out of your own house. I can go another way with this, but I'm not. Can I have my, uh, my mates? Where's Jesse? Where's, come. Come. Poor guys. No. It's not OHS approved. Move it forward. All right. Now so look at the camera and wave to the people online. <laughs> I swear someone's going to ring the cops and say this, they're having a lynching in the Maryland Function Center. <laughs> So, just like those two horses up here. <laughs> Listen. But there's a difference here. I want to share something with you. Listen to me. Hear me. You know what a yoke is now. <laughs> I hope so. But how many, if you were to really look inside your heart, how many yokes have you been attached to that shouldn't be there? You've attached it to it. Can't blame the devil. You attached to it. How many? How many times have you said in your heart, you know, these two guys are attached to this yoke. If he was to try and go right and he would try and go left, what would happen? 
disaster. So what happens is the devil gets you yoked. You think you're doing the right thing. And Jesse says, you know what? I'm going to go do this and that. That's all right. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, um, you know I'll miss Bible studies this week because of this. And, you know, I'll hang out with these guys here and that. And, and don't misunderstand. I love people and I want to fellowship with people and I want to get people saved. But there's times where God says, you know, it's time to separate from this. It's time to give out that. And because the problem is that Jesse thinks he's stronger than he is. And then he takes Christ out of the way. And then Antoine is the devil. And, um, <laughs> and what happens is, Jesse thinks he's coming straight, but the next time this guy takes him that way, he has to follow. Then he has to follow. Then he turns around and says one day, how did I end up over there? Because you're yoked unequally. But Jesus, could you step forward a bit, boys? Just, no, no, I'll, I'll come. I want to show you something. I want you to understand how does he give us rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Please put up that one, uh, 20, uh, when he says, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I need you to, I need you, I need you to see this. If, if, if that's me, or, or say Jesse, hold on. That's, I'm not begging you. His unforgiveness. His offense. His, my parents didn't do this for me. Someone left me. Someone ripped me off. Someone backstabbed me. I did good and they ripped me. Whatever it is. And you don't let it go, you're yoked to that. You can say every day, oh, the cross sets me free, but you're still yoked to that. Jesus says, I want to give you rest for your soul. When you're born again, born of the Spirit of God, guess what? The Holy Spirit comes in, ignites your spirit. The devil can't touch that anymore. The only way you defile your spirit is false doctrine and perversion of the flesh, which eventually loses your faith towards God. So we know the, the lust of the flesh, the pride, of, the look of the eyes, the pride of life, all that sort of stuff, Yeah. Jesus says, I want to give you rest for your soul. But you're not willing to let go of things. You're not willing to, to, to detach from things. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is what Jesus does. When you give your life to Jesus, can you just grab the rope around your neck so I don't choke you? <laughs> this is what he is. He just comes in and lifts the burden of sin, shame, guilt, and carries it. Stay under the, stay under the cross. And now his burden is easy. And what? His yoke is light. And he walks with you through everything. Because it's the cross that changed it all. It's the cross of Calvary. Nothing else. My fasting doesn't do it. Although fasting brings me in a place to believe God, to, to, to kill the appetites of the flesh so I can see the kingdom. My prayer life doesn't do it, but my prayer life will bring me back to reality so I can commune with God. My worship doesn't do it, although it brings Christ in me, the hope of glory, but it's the finished work of the cross. And we don't need as Christians to walk in shame and guilt and feel like we're not loved by God because what we've done, we've yoked ourselves to the things of this world. We've yoked ourselves to bondages and not understood that Jesus carries our burdens because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But you know what he does with that? doesn't just set you free you can sit your legs up and do nothing you know what he does i'll give rest for your soul that you don't have to walk in a broken spirit every day broken soul you don't have to walk according to the flesh anymore that things traumas of the past that haunt you you can say you know what i'm not touching that anymore that's not who i am christ has set me free see for freedom's sake christ has set us free see no motivational speaker is going to get that so you're not going to get that from 10 steps on how to live a better life. You have to get your knee bowed to the Lordship of Jesus and understand that the Holy Spirit in you will walk you through this. Because you're going to carry, you're going to carry your own burden. Sometimes the burdens you're carrying is not your burden. Judgment is the biggest one that God's been speaking to me about. Unless we get rid of judgment towards one another, towards others, you're not going to be free. Stop looking at what everyone else has got. Can you, are you the type of person that if someone gets blessed, do you say, praise God, what a blessing? Or do you say, why not me? God can't rain his fire in the revival he wants to bring if you're still looking at what everyone else has got and you haven't got it. You know, can I say this? And I'm going to close on this. Ananias. I haven't got it. I think it's Acts 9. Can you go to Acts 9 quickly? No, don't worry about it. I'll tell the story. In Acts 9... Ananias is in uh, Syria, in Damascus. Any Syrians here? You've got to start. Did anything good come out of Syria? They all live in Lebanon now. I mean, 
I started it now, tribal war. He's in Damascus. Hear my heart here. For those who have been in the church for a while, for those who he knew, stop looking at everyone else and worry about yourself. God, let me tell you something. Ananias is in Damascus. He's a disciple in Damascus. I don't know the time frame between when he got saved and how long he's been there, but we know that the apostle Paul, which was his name was Saul, he was rounding up Christians and putting them in jail. He was locking you up and he thought he was doing God's work. He was zealous for the things of God. He was a, he'd tell you, I'm a Jew of all Jews, circumcised on the eighth day in the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of all Pharisees. And I thought I was doing God a favor by locking up these stupid believers in Christ. And then he gets, oh, he was so zealous for it. He goes, let's get on the horse, a couple of boys, let's go to Syria, let's go to Damascus and let's run up all these idiots. He's on his way down there. All of a sudden he gets hit off his horse and, 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 and a light appears and Jesus appears to Saul. Saul had just killed Stephen, one of the disciples' men, that the, the disciples ordained. So the first martyr recorded in the Bible, Paul, or Saul, was the one that ordered the killing. Can you get a worse enemy than that? And all of a sudden, he's on his way down to Damascus. God appears to him. Jesus appears to him, knocks him off his horse, sends him blind, and then says, go to Damascus. A guy named Ananias is going to come and see you. Ananias, we don't know who he is, where he came from, how he got saved, which church he belonged to, which denomination he belonged to. All we know, he was a believer and he was a disciple in Syria. God shows him a vision, says, now this Saul of Tarsus, go and lay hands on him because he's blind at the moment. Give him his sight back. He says, but Lord, this is what I find funny. You're taught, you have a vision from the Lord to go and lay hands and pray for a murderer who's locking you up. You would think in your own mind, well, that's a false convert. No, 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 I think that's a dream from the devil. No, no, this guy just killed Stephen. We just heard about it. No, no, he's locking us all up. I'm not going to... You know what he says to God in the dream? Or after the dream, when he gets up and he says, Lord, I've heard about this guy. Like, as if God didn't know. I've heard about this guy. He's locking... He's, he's got a pretty bad name. He's locking everyone up. And I know he's just killed Stephen. And God says to him, go and lay hands on him like I told you. Because he's going to be mined. He's going to be a witness to the Gentiles. He's going to preach to the Jews. And he's going to know how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake. And he goes, lays hands on him, and it's like scales fall off his eyes. He got his sight back. And he was the greatest preacher that we've ever seen from up until now. He wrote, this guy was killing Christians. Now he's written all the books of the Bible in the New Testament. Twelve of them are written by him. Eleven or twelve written by him. If Ananias had a bitter heart towards him, if Ananias had yoked himself with self-righteousness, well, he's not part of us. You don't trust him. Now, how can you just murder someone and then start preaching the God? You know, you know what? He didn't, he didn't lock onto or yoke onto this rubbish that we do. You know what he did? What if he didn't obey God? He would have missed out on the greatest blessing. Because you know the fruit of Ananias now? Everything Paul has done, he's getting the fruit in heaven for it. Because he was better than No, because he was obedient. You know what? He didn't yoke himself to a religious spirit where it says, ah, oh, how can that be, Lord? It's a dream from the devil. I better go and pray on it. I better go ask 15 people in the cafe about it. Or, or we go ask people in my home about it. Or go ring up a 10 people. No, no, no. He understood. You know what? He understood it was God because he had fellowship with God. He didn't have a bitterness towards him. And he went and laid hands on the Saul who became the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the Bible we read today, who changed the world. Why? He had no opinion. The greatest, listen to me, the greatest yoke you can have is your opinion. It's time to lose your story for his story. Because the minute you say you want to do something for God, you'll be tested on that very thing. The minute, not the second, the minute, you'll be tested. We all want to do something for God, don't we? Nobody. Who wants to do something for God? Who really wants to serve God? Who really wants to give their life to the Lord? Have no opinion. Do as He tells you to do and be instructed how the Holy Spirit instructs you. And don't yoke yourself to bondage ever again. Because you yoke yourself, not God. And God loves you. Just like I showed the boys, He takes our burden. He carries it. And He says, now walk with me. Because He loves you. How you see yourself is how you live. Can we stand? The Lord showed me Ananias today. We'd never heard from him before and we never heard about him ever again. <laughs> yeah, he gets a mention. 
because I believe he was faithful. He had fellowship with the Holy Spirit and he was willing to go. What if it was a trap? What if Paul was... But he was willing to go. If it cost him his life, so be it. He was willing to do whatever the Holy Spirit told him to do. You may never be asked to do something that dangerous. You may never be asked to do something that wild. But God, he's asking you to take his yoke. The yoke of bondage. Can we put that, Becky, that, that fear one? This just keeps coming to my spirit. I know she's still got it there. I want people to be set free tonight from the spirit of fear. Fear of worry of tomorrow. Fear of something might happen. Fear of not being loved. Fear not. Look what it says once you get it. You have to understand this. One of the greatest bondages, yokes you could do is this. Justification of your fear will always, not sometimes, not half the time, fear will always attract whatever information it is needed to legitimize its existence. In other words, fear, the spirit of fear that's inside you, coming upon you, working through you, will go get any information it needs to make sure it's legal in their life so it can be justified in your life. And you say, that's why I'm like this, or this is why I don't do that. Listen to me, the excuses are over. You're going to stand before the Lord one day. He says, I gave you every opportunity to be free, but you decided to take the information needed to legitimize your fear, and you didn't take the information gave to you by the Holy Spirit to be set free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Today is the day you get free. The Holy Spirit in you. You may never have given your life to Christ. Not in a religious sense where, yeah, no, no. It's a time to bow the knee before the Holy Spirit in front of the cross and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. See, the Holy Spirit is going to form Christ in you, but He needs your permission. <laughs> you can tie the hands of an almighty God if you don't give Him permission. See, there's a ways to man that seems right, but at the end, it's destruction. Don't yoke yourself to the things of this world. Don't yoke yourself to your opinions. Don't yoke yourself to what you think is right. Yoke yourself to Jesus. Because if it's not light, you're carrying a burden that's not yours. So Father, I thank you tonight. We thank you, Father, for your wonderful grace and mercy. When he says, take heed, when he says, watch, we read it just quickly, but what he does, it's like grabbing someone by the hair and, and by the face and looking and go, listen to me and make sure you understand what I'm about to say. That's what he's saying. He loves us. He set us apart for such a time as this. We have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. There's some people in this room that just need to get a bit of joy back in their life. You can't carry a burden that's not yours. God will give you some burdens to carry, but He'll make it light. It won't be easy, but it's not something that's, that you're carrying that you're struggling. The beast of burden look down. Those horses up there, they look up. Because those horses were yoked, but it was like the yoke on them was lower so they could run. They could go to war. They could... Go running victory. And that's what Christ's yoke is. Because he comes out of a place of victory. Not a place of bondage. You don't have to work for your salvation. You don't have to work for things to get. You know what you do? You receive it by grace and let him lift up the weight of you. You've got to start believing what he says. Because if you don't, the Lord had shown me that some people are shriveling up on the inside. Their mind is not fruitful. Their hearts are getting broken. You're shriveling. I saw people shriveling up by fear. You're looking for a way out and you know what the truth is, but you're not willing to accept it. And you're shriveling up. It just broke my heart when I saw it. And God's on my case every day this week that you need to let go of what you think is right and start trusting in Him and only Him. You're going to die. 
You're going to die. Oh, oh I'm not going to die. Well, that's what Adam said. You might not die physically, but you're dying on the inside. And that's not a way for a believer to live. We are not meant to walk in grief. We are meant to walk in victory. We may go through grief. We may go through struggles, but we need to walk it out as we are the head and not the tail. We have been lifted up as sons and not slaves. The gospel is freedom. You know how free you know you are when you're willing to die for something. So I thank you, Father. Spirit of grief, spirit of fear, gone in Jesus' name. We have no place. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus won the victory at Calvary. Come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This is not a rest that he'll take always away the problem. He'll give you a rest in your soul so you can overcome your problem. Hallelujah. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's a pretty good time to come and receive him now. Receive here the Holy Spirit now. The Spirit of truth, he'll guide you into all truth. And I thank you, Father, for your lovely word. That you moved heaven and earth and sent Jesus, your son, down just for us. That you justify us just as if we have never sinned. That you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we are right standing before you. Thank you for the finished work of the cross. And Lord, I pray a blessing over every individual in this house. That they may know you, the one and only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that they may know how to fellowship with your word, fellowship with your spirit, fellowship with one another so the blood can keep on cleansing them. I give you all the praise tonight. I thank you for your word. Your word is true. I give you all the power. You have all the glory. In Jesus, Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.